outfit one. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go, Freddy! That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not bury them. Marshalls gets away, Marshalls gets away. Marshalls still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast prepared to connect an illegal elbow to the windpipe of the big issues. I'm your host, Avon Brown, and today on the show we'll be discussing all of the big topics in the wonderful world of rugby league, including some of the new rule changes, the second team in Brizzy, and the rumours swirling around Cam Smith joining the Gold Coast Titans. We also speak with friend of the pod, Giannis, about the clusterfuck that is the St. George Illawarra Dragons. But first, I must welcome, I was going to call you both pundits or doyens, but to be honest with you, I don't know the difference between the two. Regardless, it's Media Watch Mario and Xander Risotto. Welcome to the pod, lads. Good to be with you, mate. I'll, I'll take pundit. I, I, I could see a future in cable news for us. Okay, I love it. Can someone define the difference between a pundit and a doyen? Is a doyen a kind of boil? I don't think so. I think that's... Uh, so I only know what pundit means, basically, okay, what I'm getting yeah. at. Uh, hello, listeners. We've all missed you. It's been a little while. It's been, uh, well, I'm, by my count, probably three years since we've last recorded. Apologies for that. Um, I've had to spend a lot of my free time whittling wood on the front porch just to let the time go by. I'm, I'm just trying to, I guess, forget about Donald Trump the best way I can. And to do that, I've found a ro- an old rocking chair out in the front of my house has served quite well. Uh, what have you guys been doing in the break? Anything interesting? Yeah, no, I made up. I, I enjoyed a um, a nice uh, break over Christmas. I was planning to go see everybody. Of course, COVID hit and the Northern Beaches screwed us. Pack mm. of wankers. Sorry, Manly. Yeah, other than that, mate, I generally took it easy. Mario, do you get offended by that when someone has a go at the Northern Beaches? Obviously, you're a Manly fan. And from what I understand, you grew up on a small exclusive island just off the coast of the Northern Beaches. Um, yes and no. Northern Beaches, there's certainly a lot of wankers in there. And the thing that offends me is when people consider people from Avalon as being part of the Northern Beaches. <laughs> Any of the beaches will tell you that everyone from Avalon, garbage. They're garbage. I love it. See, Xander, there's always a group within the group, mate. That's the thing to learn. And, and it's tough to be a bigot today because you need that kind of nuance. That's right. It's like, you know, the way people uh, from Coogee consider those from, from Rubra. You know, mm. also trash. Yeah, although it doesn't help when Souths move the boundary and hold a ticker tape parade throughout Coogee and Clovelly, which is clearly Eastern Suburbs territory. <sighs> Big shout out to all the South fans and fuck you for 2014. Just what, I feel like I need to throw that in every episode, just to fuck you for 2014. Look, we're going to talk about rule changes first up, guys. And um, has there been too many rule changes in the last two seasons? We all love PVL, he's an innovator. But at this stage, it does sort of run the risk, doesn't it, in a couple of years' time where we won't recognise the game of rugby league anymore because we've really changed the fabric. Yes and no. The fabric's kind of a myth because rugby league looks nothing like it did when it was first invented. Mm. Well, it used to be in black and white, didn't it? But what I do think that Peter Volandis is pretty much a dropkick, old-school idiot that all the media want to get behind because that's what most of them are. That is agree with everything he says because he says the sort of shit that they like saying. He's just making up rules based on Daily Telegraph Twitter polls that had 57 people voted on them. And he thinks, oh, cool. Look what the fans want. Let's change. Well, he has said that. He's been on the record. You've got to give the customers what they want. But, lads, I have to have a question here. 
Is two points for a field goal outside of the 40-metre line truly what the fans want? And two, what the fuck is with that rule change? Because that wasn't on anyone's radar, was it? Yeah, that's that that really came from left field. Like, to, to be honest, I, um, you know... I, I kind of thought that um, a field goal, you could probably make two points anyway. But you, if you did do that, you should probably make uh, tries five points. But and what's then, the purpose of all this? Well, I mean, it just means that you can you can level uh, a penalty with a field goal. and Which I, I kind of get. I mean, a field goal is a lot harder to get than a penalty. So in a certain sense, I, I see the value in that. Just that I, I also think that um, if you're going to do that... You should probably reduce the relative value of goals altogether by just adding a point to tries. See, I feel like that one rule change has already kicked off something in your mind where now it's like the dominoes have fallen and you changed another eight rules. Well, it's 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 one one more rule. Yeah, but this is the thing. And then once that happens, people will go, yeah, of course, we want scrums to be worth nine points. Uh, because we need to level yeah, because, eight penalties minus a field goal. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. Well, I'm just saying, but, no, I you mean, don't want to make this thing so reductive that we're doing year nine maths. Yeah, no, I mean, my, my point is that like, I actually think the, the, the my issue with it is more the 40 metre thing. I actually reckon that as a rule, um, you know, the way penalty goals can be issued in a tight game, uh, it's frustrating to me because it seems like sometimes a referee will um, be a little bit more cautious about issuing or they'll do square ups. Whereas if you've got that option and, and it's a two point ball game where you can level it with a field goal, I, I do think it should be open to teams. And I, you know, I've never, I understand why they don't want to make it about field goals, but at the same time, I feel like uh, the, the waiting uh, for penalties is. You know, being worth twice as much doesn't make sense to me. Well, here's the bit that I struggle with. Peter Valandi said, the reason we want this rule to go ahead is because we want teams to be attacking right up until the 80th minute. And I I don't know if I'm just denser than a whale omelette, but how the fuck does that make it more attacking? Isn't it just going to lead to teams, you know, taking snapshots all the time because they're now worth two points? Yeah, I mean... And then under (laughs) Xander's rule, you have to make tries five points for some reason. It's, it's a fucking. It's, it's a clusterfuck. It's about the relative value of of, of scoring. But anyway, um, no, I mean, why forty meters? Uh, I, that that's my issue. I think you just you because it doesn't account for the skill level, right? I mean, it's mm. harder to kick a field goal from the sideline from thirty out than it is from right in front from forty. Correct. So it, it doesn't really track logically for me. Okay, how about this? If you can nail one from seventy out, you win the game at any point during the game. So second minute, if you can do it. You've won the game, they call time off, well done, you get the competition points. There's a good solution to what Xander's saying, is if it kicks a harder from different angles, and it needs to just basically look like a basketball court and have a circle, a field goal circle, so you kick anywhere from outside that circle, and there you go, you're perfectly fine. You might be only 20 metres out, but you're from a, you know, a diagonal. I feel as though we're only a whisker away now from earning three points for rubbing your left nut against the upright you know what i mean i feel like we're getting into really weird territory and i'm and do you think be a great multi though that i'll be a hell of a multi <laughs> i'd bet on that i'd definitely bet on that Xander's taking us to rugby with five point tries increased points for field goals clearly where he's trying to get us so i've always thought that Xander might be the manchurian candidate of the rugby league podcast world he's his ultimate end is to be a bit like the the Homeland character where he converts every podcast to rugby union. You've done a very good job. You're very surreptitious. See, it's interesting. I, I want this to be balanced on both sides, actually. Because over there, I think that they should they should reduce 
their field goals and penalties from See three what he's doing, Mario. He's already doing it. He's already <laughs> doing it. We're so talking about rugby now. Every, every both both codes, it all kicks should be two points. I say no tries, just field goals. But tries are worth more, so they're still attractive. <laughs> yeah, but they don't exist under the. Maybe, maybe, maybe make them six points or eight points. <laughs> then, if we make them eight points, then all kicks can be one point because the relative value will be a quarter. You've already lost me. Where was the squ- <laughs> where where was the cube root of I don't know Glenn Maxwell? Um, that's not a euphemism, by the way, for Glenn Maxwell, Maxwell having an orgy. That's not what I was doing or attempting to go was- through. Sorry, yeah, go for it, Mario. <laughs> Totally agree. I just feel like this was the solution to a problem that no one posed. And I'm wondering if just one night PVL just hacked into the Dulux paint and decided I'm going to give that a bit of a whiff and come up with nine new ideas tonight. And this is one of them. Can we put a big red pen through it? Are we all just like, fuck this one off? Almost. I will just counter Mario what he's just said briefly. I mean, the, the obvious... about Blackadder? The obvious... Yeah, well, no, he's, he's right about Blackadder. You're Sorry wrong. about that. The obvious counter to, to that point is that Teams aren't going to do that because uh, if you're going for a field goal, you're kicking long, and even 40 metres out, um, you're a fair chance of, uh, you know, creating a, a seven-tackle repeat set. Hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the incentive structure is still different, um, but I, I agree with you both of your fundamental points hmm. that 40 metres doesn't really make a lot of sense. Well, I always come back to this, though. As a basic viewing uh, standpoint, no one wants to watch players and teams go at it with field goals they want to watch tries right that's kind of the ultimate thing we're trying to incentivize and it just seems odd to me that to increase it by two points but we're not going to dwell on it because believe it or not there's 18 new proposed rules for 2021 and this is just the first one the next one is a six again for 10 meter infringements and professional fouls in the ruck now we've seen the six again last year personally i was a bit of a fan of it I, I quite liked it. Do you think we're taking the, the six again too far by extending it to 10-metre infringements and as well? I'm a little concerned because I, I, got, I got the feeling last year that those, uh, those six agains, they, they, in a certain way, they made the game feel a little bit more like AFL, where it was really momentum-based. You get a roll on and the referees, it, you know, the statistics of it probably uh, will have a, a, its own story to ser- tell, but I, I, I kind of felt like um, they they would rule successively for one team as well, mm. and you could just have like the possession stats just felt like they were going a bit out of whack, and teams were just struggling to to keep their head above water. So I don't know. I agree with you. It did seem a bit more uh, like AFL, but particularly when Mitch Pierce was playing and he kept kicking the ball dead outside of the sticks, which was weird. He was <laughs> playing his own game, I think. Especially when he took the ball and held it in the air and ran over the sideline. That That's was really right. Silly. And harassed a female in the crowd with it, uh, which I hear allegedly. I don't know if he actually did that. It's a dog. Yeah. By text, anyway. Mario, how do you feel about this one? I'm trying to remember what your opinions were last year about the six-again rule. I'm, I sort of... Happen to remember you thinking you weren't a fan, but uh, what are your thoughts on it? I kind of liked it. I think I remember saying that I liked it at the start of the year, but God, who knows? I don't mind it for the 10 metres. For ruck infringements, it seems a little strange. You know, which ruck, ruck infringements of you? Is that a, a strip? Because if you strip the ball away from them, you can't just give them six again because you've taken the ball off them. So I'm just a little confused about where the lines are on those. Maybe it's just if it's convenient, then they'll make that rule. I assume so, mate. I assume it has to be at times where there's been a 
a foul committed in the ruck, but the other team hasn't come up with possession because that would be weird to go give the ball back at six again. So I assume in those cases it's going to have to be a penalty. I, I for one, am also a fan of the six again. I, I uh, felt like it did speed up the game, but I think we all made the criticism last year, and I think it's a fair one, that there's often, I guess from an audience point of view, you're not always sure what the penalty was given for. Yeah. And, it, and I've watched plenty of games of you, Xander, live, and a part of it was always, oh, look, they've got six again. What was that for? I don't know. But there's no time to question it because we're now under the pump. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, it was, there was a, a couple of games in particular where we're like, what was that for? I don't know. Well, anyway, they're on the roll. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Is this a little way that referees have sort of gotten around the question of accountability? Because they realise there's not enough time for fans to dwell on decisions because it's happening so fast now. They, they should at least have to yell out six again offside, six mm. again infringement. Yeah, why is that such a hard thing to do? I've, I remember someone proposing that and everyone went, no, nah, that won't work. It's happening too fast. Fuck off. It's a whole other word to say. Yeah, exactly. By the way, by the <laughs> field goals are now two points. <laughs> and if you score in the corner, that's nine points. Uh, but it's divided by three if it's the eastern corner. Fall, fall is lava. I mean, fall is a fracture at that point. I think we should probably actually string them up. You know, like you ever seen people in those gyroscope things where they sort of like bounce off trampolines and they've got like cords attached to them both sides? Mm. I think put them on them and they can sort of fly up and down and like, you know, whisk around. Then it, we're going real Blurns ball territory here. But I mean, we laugh, but PVL's probably really working on that one right now. Um, handovers, guys, for incorrect play the balls. This is a weird one because how often is an incorrect play the ball really enforced? Unless some fuckwit absolutely gets confused and faces the exact wrong way 180 degrees, it virtually never gets pulled up, does it? Yeah, I don't like this. Um, it, it is one of those rulings that has the potential to just become a, a pedantic, occasionally raised a momentum killer for one side. And mm. if you go back and look through the tape, you'll, you'll be able to point to 15 examples that weren't pinged. I was going to say, what constitutes a, an incorrect play of the ball? Is it the fact that the start of the boot doesn't come into contact with the ball at all? Because they I'm attempted guessing, to enforce yeah. that about 15 years ago. And that I was remember. fucking horrible because yeah. there was about 98 penalties in the first nine minutes. Yeah, no, it was stupid. Um, I, think, I think the simpler solution is to just do what they have done, and that is that you know, if you've done it wrong or played it in the wrong spot, you just make them go back and they lose momentum. I mean, th- this is going to be, the, the, I guess, what teams are going to train for, is how to game the system of the new set of rules. So for every new set of rules that the NRL brings in, there's uh, you know, a myriad of coaches who get together and go, well, how do we fuck these rules over? Uh, big shout out to Craig Bellamy for ruining the game in the modern era. But I hear he's you know, already hired a, a consultant coach just for this purpose. Yeah, I'm sure he has. And I think his consultant has several consultants. That's the way it works. It's a Ponzi scheme of people trying to fuck over the rules. Um, this is a really That's not how Ponzi schemes work. Sorry, go on. No. I just wanted, just wanted to point that out. <laughs> no, but it depends, it depends what you pay them. And then eventually someone gets left out of pocket. Because a Ponzi scheme is effectively... Yeah, yeah look, I, I'm going to need more detail on that one offline. But, okay, um, no worries. I'll get some, <laughs> that doesn't make sense I'll, to g- me. I'll get a Sharpie and a butcher's, bit of pa- butcher's paper and it we'll go over it together. It needs to be the for that one. Um, no, this is an interesting one. Captain's challenges, when it's inconclusive, um, they're going to stand. I think last year when they brought it in for the first time... It was inconclusive. The captain lost the challenge. 
which actually makes sense, right? That's yeah, a bit, that's, that's bit of a tough call when yeah. the video ref can't tell and you've lost your challenge. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, we're it. supporting some of these rule changes. This is I interesting. Know. I like it. I thought I was going to shit on all of them. Now, this is the one that I've never been a, a big fan of. I think it's this one. I'm reading it live. Bunker reviews done in the background after an on-field try is awarded uh, with conversion attempt not permitted until the bunker is satisfied with the try's outcome. Now, for me, this is a weird one because I've seen it trialed and what it results in is teams celebrating they've scored the try it looks legitimate so at home you're if you're supporting that team you're celebrating with them and uh, the guy's lining up the kick and then someone walks across really awkwardly like the ref and goes sorry mate that's actually a no try we've re- we've, we've looked at that and um it's going to be a 20 meter tap and it just is so deflating mm. I, that's the thing that I, in terms of the theater of rugby league i remember thinking that's just a fucking bad rule Yeah, I think I think that's the big difference for me. I can see that when when point scoring is so routine as it is in in basketball, I can kind of see the merit of it. But you know, you can go seventy minutes without someone scoring a try in rugby league. So when someone scores, it's quite a big moment, and to have that moment trampled upon um, by a referee who sort of ambles across awkwardly and says, "No, you 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 fucked up there." Um, I, I'm not a fan of this one. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, we talked about this before um, uh, the end of the year, mm. and I, I did. I have a memory like a sieve. <laughs> I don't remember any of that. I did mention that they'd been doing this um, in Union, and it, and it was annoying me. They did a weird, they did a, a less smart version of the in Union where they allowed teams to game the system, where if you could take, if you were, if you managed to kick your your uh, conversion mm. before the uh, referee had ruled on it, it was official, regardless of what the video referee said. So occasionally you get sides who'd score a try and the on-field ref would do it. And because they'd be right in front, they'd just take mm. a quick snap field goal because you can take a snap, like a field goal why conversion. Why are we turning sport into a bad Benny Hill <laughs> like, sketch? Like, like, why are we hoping yeah. to develop tactics where a team will rush back and try to kick a conversion in under two or three seconds just to get away with something. Yeah. It's an unusual precedent, isn't it, to it, set. That was that was one of the the weirder things that they came up with. But mm. uh, in in the NRL when they did it last year, I was kind of in two minds about it because um because they they they'd not gone gone quite that silly with the way mm. that they'd structured it. They they made you wait for the field goal uh, the for the conversion. Um but simultaneously I also find the 15-minute review of multiple angles of what seem like really o- obvious tries really mm. irritating. So part of me kind of wants that to go away and to not see it and then maybe just have them pad out the time until they get to the conversion. Because mm. so, like, I actually f- I get really angry watching them review stupid, tr- like obvious tries. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of in two minds about it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, look, we, this wasn't part of what we were going to do, but uh, if you guys, I mean, that's a big set of rules. We've sort of exhausted them. If you guys had to implement a rule, is there one that you think the NRL needs to look at or should implement? So let's go to the brains trust oh, of the TVT. 2050s. 2050s. Now, we've chatted about this, yeah. and I think there's merit in not even having 20 anything or 40 anything mm. 
but just going if you've kicked the ball if you kicked more it than, so many pains yeah yeah like maybe it's like 30 meters yeah no matter where you are on the field if you if you're kicking more than 30 meters and it goes into touch you get the ball back i actually quite like that i think from an, the challenges from an officiating standpoint like for the the referees they have they've got the two red lines now that they yeah, can use to adjudicate. That is true. It. That's the it is a bit of flying the ointment mm-hmm. actually adjudicating on them. But so once we've got an AI that can that can mm-hmm. work that out on the fly, I'm sure it'll be all right. Yeah. Then you won't even need the lines. Um, another rule that I've been stewing on: Shane Webke has to play a wing in every match in the round. Welcome back to the voluntary tackle. We're talking expansion. And uh, in typical rugby league style, uh, the NRL is deciding to expand by one team to make it the odd number of 17 teams. PVL's pretty certain about this, lads. He wants, I think it's 2023, he wants a second team in Brisbane. It actually makes a lot of commercial sense. There looks like there's three bids now that it's down to. There was about 19. Remember the Leprechauns? God bless them, the Brisbane Leprechauns. They've fallen by the wayside, Xander. They're gone now, much like most of Ireland. COVID, so racked over there. Um, but now there's three bids. So you've got uh, the merger now between the Bombers and the Ipswich Jets. So that's the Brisbane Jets bid. Uh, you've got the Eastern Suburbs Tigers, which I believe is the Firehawks. Uh, and the third one is the Red Cliff Dolphins, which is a bit of a smoky and a bit of an outsider. So it's come down to three. Uh, before we dive in and uh, have a look at some of these bids in more detail, putting a little asterisk there because we may not be able to find any live, um, I want to know from you guys, which of those three bids seems the most attractive to you? Purely practically, it's probably going to be the Jets. Just okay. Be, just because they've got the money, um, they're both pretty... I mean, the, the, the sort of appeal of the Dolphins was Redcliffe has all that infrastructure. Uh, it, they... The Bombers kind of solved that by partnering up with, with Ipswich. Um, again, established identity. They did pretty well in the local competitions for a while there. I don't know if they're quite as moneyed as, as the Dolphins, but um, mm. it makes them both fairly fairly attractive looking. The, the good thing about the Ipswich Jets too, which is now the Brisbane Jets, obviously you've got the resources of two bids mm. that have essentially consolidated. But from what I saw, it also had it made the most sense in terms of the population arc as well, Ipswich, that, that Western Corridor quite a built-up area. I, I think it has a fairly defined character where they weren't all necessarily be major Brisbane fans. I think they would want to come along with a journey and be, I guess, an opposite or, or an, an alternative team in Brisbane to Brisbane Broncos, which is important as well. And they've got a lot of, I guess, a track record of success. Um, and look, we're just reading live, uh, so thanks for keeping up with us, listeners. But uh, according to Sporting News, which isn't always a Bible, when it comes to rugby league um, authenticity, the Brisbane Jet expansion bid is actually actively targeting Cameron Munster and Harry Grant. So they're really going after the Melbourne Storm stocks in the hope that, I guess, I think some of these guys will be coming off contract in a couple of years. So many rumours swirling about what this inception team will involve. There's a lot of, it's going to be Craig Bellamy, it's going to be Wayne Bennett, Cameron Smith, who we're going to get to in a moment, could well be in some form uh, on the coaching staff, or could he could be doing a Tom Brady. He could still be playing. So I want to start off with this question. I always find this an interesting one. Should a new franchise have its own identity, or would you see an advantage in actually having a, a pre-existing identity come along into the first grade? So let's for the examples would be the Firehawks, a brand new one, versus something like the Brisbane Jets. The Jets an accepted brand up there. Well, I mean, the Firehawks are not... Um entirely a new brand they're basically 
East Tigers, really, aren't they? They're rebranded them, more or less. Yeah, so new mascot. Yeah. Um, essentially, I th- I'm assuming because we already have a Tigers, yeah, well, they've decided to pivot and go Firehawks. That's right. And they've got, you know, they, they went with, I think, Orange and, and uh, like Navy or yeah. something like that. The Bastions are bushfires. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, the patron saint of bushfires. Very, very resourceful little um, fire starters. They're, they're obviously sort of a positives and drawbacks to both. I mean, with the established mm. identity, you do have a core support that you can bring along. Uh, but you also have the fact that, you know, people who are part of that local competition won't want to support them. Are they are they inoffensive identities? Are they one of those people's favourites teams up yeah. there or what? You know, this is the, the kind of stuff that's really surprised me. I've heard a lot of these bids talk and I don't think they're all making up shit here. They've, they've actually done a lot of studies about how many people who are active rugby league fans in Brisbane but aren't necessarily fans of the Brisbane Broncos. And they're the guys that the new bid is chasing, that they either have a legacy team that they follow in Sydney or they like rugby league, but they've always hated the Broncos because it didn't represent them. So a new new brand in Brisbane is sort of looking to galvanise this large collection of people who, according to these studies, and it's been multiple bids have come up with similar conclusions, there are a lot of people in Brisbane, and this really surprised me, who don't like the Broncos. Um, did that surprise any of you guys to learn that? I would. I mean, for no. me, a one club town, a one club city, it always seemed like it would be a difficult proposition to transplant another team in there and get them to sort of defect from the Broncos. No, I mean, if I've had mates who've lived up there for years. They've told me that forever. Um, that there's always been, um, you know, even from the 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 start, there were people who were resistant to the idea of like that one you know uh, monolith side and wanted to stick to one of the old identities. But mm. there, there's always been people who hate the. Um, the local, uh, you know, the Broncos. Same in, you know, I mean, it's not this, not analogous, but there are people in Melbourne who hate the Storm, yep. you know, who like rugby league. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've <laughs> got to be very isolated people because, you know, rugby league's not a big game down there in Melbourne. And no. to hate the Storm, but like the game, I mean, you've almost got to be a schizophrenic. But there is, there is that, um, you know, people who don't like um, the big dog. Mm. There is that mentality. You know, they, yep. they're, they're, they're like my older brother's one of them. He's, mm. He hates every team that um, tribally he should support. Yeah. Like always, is that because always, he has a cultural chip on his shoulder? Uh, you know, I don't know what, what sort of a, a chip it is, but he, like he, in the cricket, he would root against Australia yeah. because we were too successful. You know, okay. in state of origin, he'd go for Queensland because he didn't, you know, he, he didn't like the, the noise around the blues and the Sydney press. Mm. So, like that, it, but so basically pe- what you're saying is your brother should be strung up and shot. But there are people like that. I, I know a few mm. like in, in, who sort of fall to varying degrees in that category. Yeah. They're, they're just iconoclasts. Can, uh, so basically you're saying a new team in Brisbane would have to be made up a, a supporter base of iconoclasts and traitors. And people who, who don't like uh, the Broncos just because they're a pack of News Limited scumbags. Okay, well, that's yeah. a very pointed opinion. Mario, I need to bring you in here. You've been very quiet, and I think it's because you hate Brisbane. But the, the prospect of a second Brisbane team, does it excite you as a rugby league fan, mate? Yes and no. What doesn't excite me is 17 teams. It's stupid. Just in the bin with 17 teams. I don't understand. I agree. Where intentionally. Totally agree. Let's just have a Perth team, have a New Zealand team. I don't give a crap. Just have another team or ditch one. Kick bloody Souths out again. Whatever. Why does the NRL do this? Do you, do you think I completely get the economics of wanting another team in Brisbane? Makes total sense. I mean, the idea of the the Brisbane rivalry alone that's pretty salivating, isn't it? Even as a Sydney based rugby league fan plus i have a bit of a um, a gland problem with my tongue 
But for me, you'd want to be putting a double expansion in place because who the fuck likes a buy? The buys are the most deflating things to have ever been involved in rugby league. It's the equivalent of having a draw. I'm a pro golden point man because if you've ever been out to a game when there's been a draw, unless it gets you into a final series through some kind of weird act of mathematics, a fucking deflating result for everyone involved. Why does the NRL want just one extra team? I feel like if we're going to go down this track, we should be doing a double expansion. Because you can add New Zealand or you can add Perth and you've got a useful time slot that they can add to the calendar each week. And that's it commercially, that makes sense, surely. You know, having a Perth time slot that's going to be getting getting people over there. And so, you know, crazy people here can watch at 10.30 at night because there's plenty of them all want to do that. It just... It makes such obvious yeah. sense. What what are we really gaining by have, adding one team uh, apart from, as you said, annoying buys? I'll get to you in just a second, Xander, because I know you, you've got something to add to that. But I have heard PVL say a number of times that he is an expansionist, but with a fairly significant caveat, that being he doesn't have any interest whatsoever in going into what he labels rusted on AFL states. So if he's going to do any expansion, it, it would be, for example, Mario, in a New Zealand. For example, I can't see him going to WA and I can't see him going to South Australia either. Xander, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, that could just be bluster. It could be a negotiating position he's, he's putting forward to try and, um, you know, push them to doing something. They're still taking games to WA. Mm. He's not stopping that and he's not, you know... I think I think that's... Why would he come out and say that then? What, what's, the, what's the advantage of optics of him saying... Fuck WA in South Australia. Like I said, I reckon I reckon it's a negotiating thing. I mean, you know, it's probably part of there, there probably is a lot of interest and they're they're looking for more. I mean, you know, he's done this before with other things. Mm. But just getting back to the original point, the the simple reason that you'd go for one team is purely because the playing pool just isn't there right now. Yeah. Um the you know, the the bottom end of the table were abysmal last year. Like they could, they were not first grade standard. Yep. So there's a there's a fairly pragmatic argument that says that if you're going to expand, you know, you, you have to really uh, have that first team bedded down and given a chance to develop their own pathways first so that, you know, you can then add uh, another uh, expansion team to bring it up to 18 sides without it just becoming a bit of a farce at the bottom end of the table. Is the Melbourne Storm in 1998 a bit of a... I guess, uh, a rejection of that theory, the idea that uh, they didn't have juniors set up there. Uh, they were essentially transplanted there from Perth, and yet they have gone on to become arguably the most successful sporting franchise in Australia. Could it happen that way? We Could we set up a Perth team called something like the Perth Pirates, and if the infrastructure and the organisation is set up correctly, they'll end up being a successful franchise anyway? So, no. Um, <laughs> the reason being is because... Thank you very much. Thought I'd that, throw that in there. That is that is uh, the reason being is yeah. Like if you did everything absolutely right, sure. Um, but three teams collapsed to form the basis of the Melbourne Storm uh, when they were first born, and there was a Big lot shout of shout out to the Hunter Mariners. You know, yeah, absolutely right. Great side. We should bring them back. Um, but you know, there was a lot. There was a lot that went into that, and and the fact that they just happened to win the coaching lottery after um, you know their first couple of years when they signed Bellamy. Mm. What in two thousand? Oh, I thought you were talking about Mark Murray. <laughs> But no, you know they 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 were really lucky in '99, like ultimately. But it was it was uh, they had a good mix of experience and people who'd been there and done that, and yep. three teams collapsing. And then they just happened to you know sign one of the 
the the brightest young coaches at the time mm. uh, in Craig Bellamy. Yeah, and they obviously it was a great move to bribe Jamie Ainsco to fuck up that try at the end in 1999. That's a great move from a from an organisation which went on to prove that being really nefarious can bring you long term success on the field. Um, I'm going to put this out to you, Mario. I want to know if you were bringing in an 18th team, so one in Brisbane, where would your 18th team be? New York. Okay. You you know you can't just leave it at New York like you're a fucking Alicia Keys. It's all about bums on seats. It's all about visibility for Mr. Volanders. I'm sure if you polled people in New York and asked them where the next team should be, they'd all say New York. And so, therefore, you know, there'd be more more people – um, voting on that than on the average uh, NRL.com poll. So, therefore, that's the right team and shame on him for not making it happen yet. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be beating a dead horse here, which is appropriate given that, you know, the Broncos are the other uh, equation, or other part of the Brisbane equation. But um, Classic Ponzi scheme. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, for me, it's 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 got to be New Zealand. Um, I think... there's you know, al- the first time you mentioned this on the pod... Yeah. It was the first time I'd ever heard anyone propose a second New Zealand team. And I remember my reaction. I laughed at you for quite some time. But since that episode, that's become a fairly regulation suggestion for people. And it actually has a hell of a lot of merit. So I was wrong to laugh at you. It was, but I mean, tell us again now why the argument's so strong. Well, it makes, you know, from a business perspective, it is a lot smarter than Perth for a couple of reasons. One is Intellectually, they, obviously. Yes. Have you met people from Perth? <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. I've, I've even been there. Um, yeah. They can't work out why the sun sets over the water. <laughs> that, anyway, big shout out to Perth. Um, but pretty straightforward. You know, they are a one code town effectively you know the afl has is really deeply rooted the the west coast eagles are a 250 million dollar organization they're massive um and uh, you know you'd have to be poaching all of your players uh pretty well from uh, the the current nrl whereas if you go to new zealand and you know fundamentally it gives you an extra time slot uh, and uh, potentially a fraction of a, a population of two million people mm. um the time slot thing is a great incentive yeah. Like, uh, I, I see that as a great incentive. I'm not saying it's the, the totality of the problem. Mm. You don't do it just because of that. But you have to admit that that, that actually works out beautifully. It's an incentive. I don't know yeah. how great it is, though, if, if okay. the, the number of people you're going to be drawing in is, you know, basically a league game levels because it's going to take a while to build up that audience. Mm. Um, so the reason you, you go to New Zealand uh, is because, A, they have incredible rugby talent infrastructure already through union. They have an excess of players. That are, they're always bleeding to European Union competitions. Yeah. Um, and, B, uh, uh, the New Zealand are nowhere near saturation from a rugby league standpoint uh, because they're so incredibly Auckland-centric from, as, from an identity. Yeah identity standpoint so giving New Zealand a local derby with a side that is not wedded to the Auckland identity gives them a really interesting uh, uh, local derby that gives the other part of New Zealand that it eventually goes to effectively the ability to to show up Auckland which is what the whole country is always wanting to do so essentially you want another team there to siphon off rugby union talent because there's an excess and as you said they're bleeding into the English super uh, the rugby union comps so would you call them the leeches? No, I'd, I'd, I'd actually call them the bulldogs and uh, take Canterbury from uh, Sydney and, and <laughs> transplant them. No, you always no. you always trying to relocate, poor old. No, Canterbury. no, there there are existing identities. There there is actually a um uh, relatively uh, well known um uh, you know 
Canterbury franchise, I think called the Canterbury Bulls down there that yeah. are you know black and red. You could you know m- maybe even mm. bring up some sort of a Bears link. It's a whole range of things. The other thing, of course, it does is it strengthens New Zealand as a whole. It makes tests more interesting, yeah, which raises that. their profile. Can I tell you this? A personal experience when I was driving around the South Island, which is obviously a rugby union stronghold, I was really surprised at how strong the brand recognition was for the Warriors. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was on in most pubs. Rugby league was on. It sure it didn't wasn't attracting the same crowd as a super rugby match was at the time, but that actually showed me that there was a potential audience even in the South Island mm. for rugby union, sorry, rugby league in New Zealand. So, are you assuming that it, it might be set in the South Island or are you thinking too on the North Island? Uh, from a population standpoint, you probably would uh, uh you know, argue to put it in Wellington. Um, you know, some people even argue yeah. that they should just put it in the north part of Auckland, but I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the idea of putting it in Canterbury just because Canterbury's associated with success in New Zealand because yeah. of the Crusaders. Not in Sydney. Um, no, well, I mean, not now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the, as a region, um, Christchurch and Canterbury are, you know, they're basically the big dogs of New Zealand rugby. Mm. Um, and they have a cultural sort of, you know, a history uh, of, of success that is not really matched by anything else. Mario, look, let, let's take um, Xander's proposal here as something that would say it gets implemented in three or four years' time. As a rugby league fan, would you be pumped to see the New Zealand local derby? Would, would that be something that would draw you in on a Saturday afternoon on Foxtel? You go, yeah, I want to check out the Leeches versus the Warriors. Damn right. I mean, if you think about it, how, how pumped do we get by a Pacific Islander, uh, by um, Tonga versus Samoa, or even say the Aboriginal All Stars versus the, the Maori All Stars? It's you know, yeah. seeing these these big these big Islander boys going at each other is it's a great spectacle. And not that the New Zealand team would necessarily be all Maori people. I'm sure there'd be a, a few white guys here and there. But generally speaking, you're like just you just they. Uh, I don't know if they're just if it's if passion's the right word, but it does feel like there's more sort of passion when I love watching those games. The Samoa Tonga game's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you see, uh, you see most white guys like Clemmer or Lodge, you know, beating their chests and throwing their handbags at each other. That just look like postures to me. I feel like what you've done there is reverse racism, and yet I love it. I love the fact that <laughs> you've just painted the picture of just in, an inferior race of people running hectic at each other it's not as exciting you're right Clemmer does not excite me not anymore I had a weird period in my late 20s uh, where he could arouse an erection from me but has it's been a long time so I, I just don't want to be that guy but there is no such thing as reverse racism it's just racism I see <laughs> reverse racism it depends what you're, you're reversing talking about those. positive discrimination perhaps yeah so it depends what you're reversing it's it's talking about the reverse of the perception not of the act of bigotry so i assume that's where the expression look we're getting bogged down <laughs> sorry we're going to talk about a ponzi scheme in a second but um something i want to pick up on what xander said before i thought it was interesting because he was talking about um the lack of merit for a perth franchise and the fact that it would take a long time to garner interest now I don't know if there's any perfect. In fact, I do know this. There are a couple of people from WA who listen to the podcast who might disagree with that because they do have, in their view, a fairly flourishing domestic league. The participation rates aren't too bad. And they have had a number of players who have played over in that league that have gone on to play first grade NRL, which is 
you know, more you could say, more than you could say for Victoria, for example. I actually think there's more fertile ground in Perth than we give it credit for. No, I, I don't disagree with that. I think that there there's more there going on um, than say Volandis publicly says. Yeah. I just think that in from a you know from a next port of call in terms of uh, you know trying to get quick wins, New Zealand mm. makes more sense. I would I would be going for New Zealand after Brisbane too. I mean, if I had my way, I wouldn't have a Brisbane too at all. I would have I would have New Zealand and Perth. Yeah, I, I, I'm not you know. I like I, that. I love the double expansion idea of. Uh, well, I, I, maybe New Zealand and Brisbane mm. for me. I, I, I do think Brisbane makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it, it makes some sense. I just yeah, and I just wonder about some parts of it. But I, I think that I, to me, um, Perth is something that you start investing in seriously after you get those two ex- expansion teams, and then mm. then you prepare the ground for it. So when it can launch, it it's it's really ready to go. Mario, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I'm an expansionist, as you know, which is why I've recently overtaken my neighbour's place and set up a den um, at the court cases pending. But I like the idea of having two more teams. But what, how do you think about the counter-argument of thinning out of talent? Xander said before, quite rightly, that the difference between the bottom four teams and the top four teams last year was significant. You'd probably have to argue more significant than it's been in quite a few years is adding another two teams just something that's going to accentuate that? See, I thought you were going to say that your um, expansionist ideals was a good excuse for your expanding waistline, but you know, obviously not what you were going with. Well, don't worry, mate. That's that's well on its way as well. <laughs> um, look, I I think that the the difference between the haves and the have-nots. I mean, part of it's just to do with bad coaches and that sort of thing, but a lot of it. There was a lot of injuries. There was a lot of upheaval. It was very hard for teams to maintain a 30-man roster last year, given that there was no reserve grade of any sort. So I just think that all it took was one or two significant injuries to really screw a team over last year. And I think that exacerbated the problem a lot. I don't think it's going to be as big an issue this year, assuming reserve grades go ahead. But I also think you're underestimating... um, there's a lot of decent players over in England that could be playing playing rugby league here and, you know, offer them the right money and they'll come. Look, to finish up on this, lads, I wanted to give this little task to both of you uh, because I often want to test the intellectual rigour of the show. And I'm going to start with you, Xander, so prepare yourself. You have become the doyen, if you like. You're not a pundit anymore. You're a doyen. Uh, of the NRL expansion program. And I've given you a really difficult task of convincing the Australian public or the rugby league public that the NRL needs to have a new team in Madagascar. You've got 30 seconds. I want you to convince us here on the show and our listeners as to why we need another team next year in Madagascar. Your time starts now. Well, it's fairly straightforward. We need a new team in Madagascar as a way to experiment with a lot of the crazy new rules because, I mean, clearly, mm. as a, an isolated location halfway across the world, they're only going to be able to play themselves um, and, therefore, they're going to evolve at a faster rate than the rest of us. They'll be like new rules on steroids. They'll be a perfect way for us to incubate and develop a new game that has, you know, none of the, 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 the challenges that our game has now. It'll be a pure form of rugby league that is, that is inbred to the most incredible degrees. <laughs> okay, and your time stopped. So, Mario, just to interrogate Xander's response there, he's essentially advocating for Madagascar to be, well, what a Tasmania is, a, a an island full of inbreds who will be able to, I guess, the Peter Volandis of the world 
will be able to test new rules over in Madagascar, like your, your four-point field goals. See if it goes all right. If it doesn't go all right, who cares? Because it's just Madagascar. Oh, I think I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, obviously, we're assuming that anyone from Madagascar is not as you know as important or not as intelligent as us, based on that logic. And you know, there's nothing racist about that. I, you know, I'm I'm definitely not a racist, but is how I'd, I'd go with that. So sure, whatever Xander said. You're a male Karen. I love it. And I'm going to give you your own version as well, Mario. You have 30 seconds and get ready to interrogate this, Xander. You need to convince the rugby league public, Mario, to have a new team next year in Easter Island. Your time starts now, sir. I wanted Madagascar, damn it. Um, Easter Island, it's simply that we have the the captain coach ready to go in James Tamo. He's, he's already got his own statues on the island, so let, let's make that whole team a homage to the great man himself. Xander, Mario raises a really good point there. I've never put two and two together, but James Tarmow looks exactly like the Easter Island statues. He does. He does a bit. He's, it's a very good point. See, I like the angle you went with there. When he said Easter Island, I was immediately thinking, well, you know, perfect place to put a team to develop a real sort of cutthroat mentality. The type that, you know, would resort to cannibalism if it needed to, because... That's Which effectively- James Tarmow has obviously <laughs> done in, in his time. That's right, and, and also what Easter Island is quite famous for. Yeah, he's consumed several other props in his time. People don't know that. That's why he's so large. But yeah, we just create a, we just give the game a certain edge, having a team that was willing to consume its opposition. <laughs> it would be a problem, wouldn't it, for, to have, a, a, I guess, an island team where it didn't have enough like space to actually fit a football field. I think Easter Island's quite small, from what I understand. Um, so if you kick the ball, say, out of touch... Suddenly, it's floating it's around island. on it's, the ocean. It's, it's now Wilson. Do you think the islanders knew way back? Obviously, I assume they're very ancient. I'm going to say BC. That one day, no. there would be a, a really good, just above mediocre forward who'd played a bit of a journeyman named James Tarmow. And they thought, let's start worshipping him now. Because, you know, in two and a half thousand years time, people will moderately like him. More after this. Uh. <laughs> Giannis, I, I'm wondering, is the biggest problem for the Dragons the fact that your coach is actually Nathan Buckley in disguise? You know, no brown people need enter here. Yeah, um, Murray, I, I copped a lot of shit the last time I was on, on this uh, great podcast. Um, and, and I guess this is my opportunity to apologise for everything I was right about. Uh, my reservations with Hook. Uh, and, and you can never suggest that he certainly moved us to the right, um, just in, in the way in which he's looking at a particular type of player. Uh, uh, you know, a certain look. Um, and he's sort of making sort of decisions, I would say, that Hitler made in 1941. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> they're not always the right ones. Um, yeah, Hitler didn't make the finals. Just had a really expansive early campaign and then just, just trailed off toward the finals. Yeah, well, he certainly had a final, final solution. It's worth noting that when you're climbing a ladder, going to the right isn't going to get you any further up. <laughs> well, uh, look, I put it this way. Um, to answer my state of mind, I've actually changed my Twitter handle. Um, I, I'm, I've now changed it to Peanon. And the reason why I've done this is it's my way of suddenly putting a messaging to the Dragons faithful that, look, you know... Don't put everything in perspective, like, you know, buying an ageing 31-year-old hooker actually isn't as bad as, you know, a cabal of, 
you know, global uh, Illuminati forcing uh, children to play AFL. And so I'm trying to put everything into perspective. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm struggling. Uh, I've got to admit, I am struggling. Giannis, you know, you mentioned McCulloch there, and I just want to know, you know, you forked out the money uh, for McCulloch, but why not just go ahead and pay for a real Army veteran who's had his legs blown off? <laughs> yeah, look, it, I, I put that in the dumb decision of we've got rid of a... Like, these decisions are just make... They don't make sound financial... Don't make sound financial decisions, and they're really bad or obscure footy decisions too. So mm. you, you're getting rid of Cam McGinnis, our best player. Uh, and, and as Savo Dan on Twitter has pointed out, that we have decided to keep a, a, a lock who's currently on trial for, 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 for you know, indisposed at the moment. Uh, and so there's uncertainty there. Um, you know, this is about club culture. Uh, and, and so I, I don't see any decision uh, we could go there and then just to sort of, you know, just thought, thought that the genius of the move was then to put... Um, for us to go for, a, for an ageing Israel Folau who hasn't played the game for 10 years. Uh, my understanding hasn't really ripped up the, the, the league in, in Catalans either. So, yeah, some very strange decisions. Yeah. Uh, that, that I think is uh, indicative of, of uh, the culture of the club at the moment, sadly. I had a, had a question about that one, um, Yana. So, so was it, Folau, it wasn't clear to me, were they actually seeking him to be a player? Because there were some rumours that it, they actually wanted him to be the social media manager. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, with the spelling mistakes included. Look, I think um, uh, I think it sets the you know discuss the poor footballing decisions behind it. But uh, you know, is this really a club? I mean, you know, we've we've had difficulties amongst the playing group with Jack DeBellin. Um, is this the right club culture that we're having? And and, and you have players like uh, you know good old Norman who, you know, seems to want to pick fights as well during off-season. Now, he, he may he may be the victim of it, of it as well, so let's be open to that. But, um, you know, I think you'd want to keep more Cam McGuinnesses around rather than, than um, you know, giving the lifeline to, to, to people who, frankly, um, yeah, it, it would have been a very difficult position to support that club had had Israel continued to, to, to push it. And it was never going to go anywhere. It, it was just a very bizarre decision that the grown-up had to make a decision by the board at a late date, I mean, at what point did they decide that that was a dumb idea? So much to unpack here, Giannis, with the Dragons, because I'd say out of the 10 or so decisions pre-season that I'm aware of the club making, I wholeheartedly disagree with all of them. Um, and I'll probably start with, uh, you mentioned Anthony Griffin, but I'm going to start with McInnes. That seems like the most peculiar one, because obviously I'm not a Dragons fan, but I would have imagined that he would have been a pretty popular bloke amongst the Dragons faithful, being that kind of like heart and soul player. So when, you, you know, your new coach comes along and says, mm, I'm not sure if that guy who played out of position last year just because he's a great team man, we're just going to ditch him for a guy who's a homophobe and, and passed it. Um, that obviously is going to speak volumes, isn't it, for the coach? I assume Hook is on the nose of the Dragons faithful, right? Yeah, I, I think there's still a, a group that are still willing to give him a, a bit of a, a go. Um and and that will probably last a, a game or two, um, but uh, I think you know the decision around McGinnis is a really weird one. It also underlines, I think, uh, a fundamental problem in that our recruitment retention manager Ian Millwood has got their um, uh, you know sort of almost you know I understand Jonathan Thurston has described him as, as the worst football mind he's ever come across, um, and, and you know. 
that sort of decision, you know, the, the conversations with McGuinness is apparently that our timing wasn't right in contract negotiations. Giannis, is that an exact quote from Thurston? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I'm, if not, I'm ad-libbing, um, but, I'm, <laughs> but I'm prepared to go on the record uh, to your listeners. God, I hope that's but, true. Uh, yeah, but, but put it this way, I mean, Millwood has hardly been successful in the, US, in the UK. Um, mm. And you look at some of his recruitment decisions. I mean, I understand he was a leading driver behind signing Corey Norman um, on eight hundred thousand and Ben Hunt so, too, right? Yeah, you see, everyone gives Hunt shit. I, I, I got to say, you know, people forget he, if he's got a good half in in Widdop, when he had a good half in Widdop, he, he can play. Yeah. And, and I think okay, he's on a big contract, but at least he tries week in week out. I'll defend Hunt. Um, Norman just runs sidewards and, and, and sort of crabs across the field. Mm. Um, and to be fair, Norman's that sort of mercurial player who, you know, if it comes off, it looks masterful. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I don't have a lot of time for Norman. I mean, the, the, before we just saw Slea Risto, I think that there is a crop of young players coming through that that we have high hopes on. Um, um, Sullivan, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to put big raps on him, but he's going to be the next immortal um, playing in F, yeah, whilst playing. Um, you yeah, don't want to put big raps on him, but you're going to make him the next immortal. That's yeah, that's I mean, two very big extremes. And, and he will also invent a new cure for the COVID variant. Well, true. But the other thing too is, is I mean, this is you speak to a man who's quite happy to sort of storm the, uh, the capital um, or leagues club um, and let um, the land he's actually save us. Um, from the AFL, so I mean, you know, I'm, I'm prepared to believe in anything. Oh, that's a that's that's a wonderful metaphor, Yana. So I also I did want to touch on Anthony Griffin himself. This is a man who is exceedingly old. He kind of makes Joe Biden look sprightly, and he's recruited a guy called Matthew Elliott. I think he's a contemporary. They've probably got a collective age of about 213 years, um, and he's also I understand through some pretty authentic sources that he might be liking some rather dubious tweets. I know you've alluded to it a few times, but could you illuminate this for the listeners? Anthony Griffin, on his Twitter accounts, what kind of tweets has he liked so far? Yeah, so, so I mean, he's, he's been pretty straight down the lace. I mean, picked some pretty mainstream parties like One Nation uh, support <laughs> some of their, you know, likes, um, although that's fallen off the trip. Um, I mean, I think probably the scary thing out of all of it is, is just the level of um, media support he's had from News Limited mm. uh, almost to double down against Channel 9 and Fairfax mm. um, and that, that's fascinating in that I think Webster uh, is probably one of the best journos in the game totally agree uh, totally a, agree a, 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 a dragon diehard um, and you know basic questions like following up your previous employer of Penner and Panthers they didn't even bother to check that um, you know understand why there might be fallouts um, Matty Elliott is, is one, and, and you know, he, he's, he's got a good football brain. I don't know Matty's you know, um, coaching credentials. I mean, he did well in the Raiders, but that's about it. But then, didn't, I think there's another... Um, didn't they get um, the guy who was uh, from Brisbane, the assistant manager under Seabold, who led the Brisbane Broncos to the, to the wooden spoon? Well, that does sound about the same pedigree, so I'm assuming they probably have landed him. The holy trinity of death, it's known in coaching circles. <laughs> Well, look, the thing is about Matty is that you'll always have a good joke at the end of it. The good thing about Matthew Elliott is he has the decency to hang himself with his own necktie when he's not doing well. <laughs> yeah, well, I, think, I think maybe he's a bit of interest of the Michael Hutchins approach to things. Um, and, um, so he enjoys it when he hangs himself is what you're getting at. He's a bit of a masochist. <laughs> yeah, well, 
I think you've just described a Dragons fan. Sure, sure. I've always wondered that about you, Giannis, because I always wondered why do you support the Dragons when you could simply pay a hooker to roast your balls with a candle wax? I mean, I assume you are a, you are a masochist. Yeah, look, I, I would, but unfortunately, um, we don't have the, uh, the the third party agreements that uh, the rest of the fans in, 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 in being able to get that cash. Um, so, you know, claim a carpet, unfortunately, don't provide that little income stream that the city would do. Please tell me Kaima Carpets is an actual sponsor of the Dragons. Oh, fuck, I'd love it to be. You know, fuck it, I think we should start a, a GoFundMe just to get it on there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, look, it's not that it's a wet ski, a, a wet ski company. Um, that, that, you know, surfing, surfing weird down the gong. Um, so, yeah. Giannis, thanks so much for joining us, mate. Uh, let's hope the... the the diabolical situation that is the St. George Illawarra Dragons isn't as dire. And somehow Hook and his lovely assistant, Matthew Elliott, um, when he gets sawn in half and put back together again, so is the Dragons season. But as usual, thank you very much for joining us on the Voluntary Tackle. It's always a pleasure, boys. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with you. Uh, I'll be more than happy to come on in any time. Cheers, fellas. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. Bye. We haven't got much time because we're, we're getting very tired. We've run over time. I don't know how this has happened. It's probably because there's a bad host. Uh, but we need to quickly talk about, guys, Cameron Smith, because we called it out at the beginning of the show. It'd be really weird if we didn't talk about it. A lot of rumours swirling that he's going to be playing for the Gold Coast Titans. Uh, the news in the last couple of weeks has been that he's joined the Gold Coast Golf Club. Now, look, I am no amateur sleuth, as you know. I don't wear the crumpled Mac, for example, or smoke a pipe. But that is a hell of a long way to go to play some golf when you live in Melbourne. Does anyone think that's a bit fishy? Could be timeshares, you know. Okay, just what? Just buying the golf course? Yeah, you just you got it's a timeshare. You know, I mean, I don't really know how timeshares work. It's a little bit like <laughs> it's a bit like a Ponzi scheme. It's a little bit like a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> I just think that's really lazy reporting by the Telegraph. Some proper fake news because the reality is the Cam Smith who is has joined the golf club up in Gold Coast is actually Cam Smith, the golfer, not Cam Smith, the rugby league player it'd be like if robbie farrah bought <laughs> really if, if robbie farrah bought something you know bought a villa in italy we'd all say oh he's opening a schnitzel store in italy oh wait it's the tennis player robbie farrah my bad and on that really um i guess suspiciously fake news note uh we'll end the show guys thanks so much for joining us and and listeners thank you again we know it's been a little bit of a break and we did miss you uh, in between now and then, I have, as I've said before, whittled little pieces of wood into life-size versions of uh, Corey Thompson in that time. And I've quite enjoyed myself. In the coming weeks, we will endeavour to have some previews for the season coming up. We'll probably make it a mega show where we essentially preview every team in about two minutes each. Uh, that's going to be difficult. Um, it's going to be a short preview. I'm going to give a little bit of a, sh- a foreshadow for a future episode. The Bulldogs going to be big movers this year. Uh, yeah, and they're going to move faster than Adam Elliott.